Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We're here to feel your Rockets news. This is Clutch Fan Rockets Field Podcast. And as usual, I am your host, Lashar Binkley. You can find me on Twitter at Binkley Hoops. And you can find my written work at The Dream Shake. I just came out an article recently, so make sure you're checking that out. And today we have a very special guest. I'm joined by Mr. Cody Davis. First off, thank you for jumping on the podcast today, Cody. Yeah, no problem, man. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And, you know, before we get too deep into it, why don't you let everybody know where to find all your content? Because you're pretty much everywhere these days. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, you know, since we this is a Houston Rockets podcast, yeah. um, you can find my work over at Sports Illustrated called Inside the Rockets. And you can also follow my own podcast at Believe in Rockets. Normally drop that once a week. And that's just the Rockets side of things. And the next couple of weeks, that'll be the NFL side yeah. of things. I see you using Restream, which means means you can find me every day on the Locked On Podcast Network, and I also cover the Houston Texans for Sports Illustrated as well. So, you know, I have my hands in both teams trying to bring everybody the best yeah. content possible. So, so there you go, man. I mean, heck, you, I couldn't I couldn't have said any better myself, so I was like, I'm going to let Cody <laughs> say it because I know he's going to get it out there and everybody's going to hear it. So, <laughs> like I said, man, I appreciate you coming on because I know you just got in from Vegas not too long mm-hmm. ago, uh, of course, covering the Rockets for Sports Illustrated. So I kind of want to kick it off there because in the second segment, we're going to be going over some mailbag questions from our Clutch Fans forum um, that we have. We have 14, 15 questions, so we appreciate everybody jumping on, giving us some of the questions. I don't know if I'm be able to ask you all those questions because some are a little bit uh, sketchy, but <laughs> we'll definitely uh, we'll definitely get some of those out there in the second segment. But I want to start in this first segment. I want to ask you, what was your impressions of the Rockets? Because, of course, like I said, you were there watching them in person. What was kind of your overall impression of the Rockets and especially you know, Jabari Smith and Tyra Eason? I would like to say that this is going to be more so of a defensive-minded team for this upcoming season. Um, And I say that because after the season ended, which I believe was against the Hawks on April 10th, on April 11th, we had an opportunity to speak to Coach Steven Silas, Raphael Stone, and the rest of the guys for their exit interviews. And one thing that I noticed that I still go back to to this day is the fact that Raphael Stone and especially Coach Steven Silas talked a lot about how much they wanted to improve on the defensive side of the ball. And we saw during the second half of the season, even though they still lost, they still was able to, it seemed like they were starting to improve on that side of the ball. However, Silas talked about that a lot. 
Here comes the draft. Raphael Stones come away with not one, not two, but three solid defensive players. And even during their mini camp session that we had an opportunity to talk to Silas, and he was still talking about defense. Going into Las Vegas, I kept still kept hearing defense, defense, defense. And as you can see, even in the games that they lost, the, the Rockets were still playing hard on the defensive side of the ball. And I know you mentioned, you know, what are some of my what are my first impressions of Jabari Smith Jr. I do believe, even though we have yet to see this guy play an official NBA game, I do believe Jabari Smith Jr. is going to be this team's defensive anchor. And I understand it. I get it. I know a lot of people, especially during his first two games, you know, there was a little bit disappointed. I believe he started off the summer league play um, shooting nine for 39 for 31 from the field. However, what I liked most about Jabari Smith was the fact that at the end of the day, he was still out there being this team defensive anchor. And that's what I wanted to see because LaShar, you know, during the regular season, yeah, we want to see Jabari Smith Jr. score 15, 20, maybe 30 points. But at the yeah. end of the day, he's still going to be playing alongside Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr., which yeah. lets me know the offensive side of the ball is taken care of. And in order for this organization to continue to improve, to continue to get better, to, to go back to the Rockets team that's competing for a play-in tournament, competing for the postseason or whatever the case might be, they have to get better on the defensive side of the ball. And that was the number one thing that I saw from this Rockets team doing summer league is the fact that they are more committed to defense, especially Tari Eason. My yeah. God. <laughs> like, I, I know it's early, but at some point, Probably more so during the second half of next season after the All-Star break, once once Eason and Smith really start finding their niche on the NBA level, we're really going to start seeing a more, uh, uh, just a better defensive team from this Rockets team. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up defense because it, it kind of reminds me, and of course, you know, you're covering the Texans. You kind of know this. You have an offensive, you have a defensive captain. Now the Rockets have that same thing. They have the mm-hmm. offensive superstar a potential superstar um, in Jalen Green. And then now you have Jabari Smith, who's going to be able to anchor your defense. Of course, you don't always see that as the same thing in an NBA because they play both sides of the court. But at the end of the day, I think Jabari, like you said, is going to be the defensive captain of this team. He's going to help get people in the right positions. He's very vocal, as I watched. I'm sure you saw being right there on the court. He seemed like he's very vocal, which is a – Huge part of, you know, being good on defense, which the Rockets haven't been in the last two years. <laughs> Actually, two years plus if you go back to even when James Harden was here in this last mm-hmm. year. So now you're seeing, you know, you have people like Tari's and Jabari Smith who are constantly talking on the court. And I think that's going to help the Rockets overall team uh, in the long run. And, and something I wanted to ask you, something you brought up about his shooting in the first two games. Last two games, he was 13 to 25 shooting over 50%, even though he didn't hit a three in the last game, but he was still aggressive. So do you think that that's going to continue to improve when he starts playing with people like you mentioned earlier, Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green, who now you're going to have teams focusing on on them and not Jabari Smith. Jabari Smith's basically going to be able to be in the background getting open shots from teams double and triple teaming Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. So do you see his shooting improving even more once he gets with the big squad with the Rockets? When you say improving, this is why I have a problem. Because Jabari Smith can shoot. 
Yeah. And this is why I was so happy doing, I, I don't know if he said it after the Thunder game or he said it after the Magic game. It might have been a Magic game, I believe. Um, He talked about how his ner- the nerves got to him. He was like, well, yeah. this is the first time I'm playing, you know, close to an NBA level. And he was just talking about just how nervous he was. And that played a factor into the bad shooting that he had. And that's important because as you saw over the last two Summer League games against the Spurs and against the Portland Trail Blazers, the, the 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 man know how to put the ball in the basket. Oh, yeah. I was never worried about Jabari Smith's shooting only because I had an opportunity to watch him in practice um, over the past week. And when I tell you that young man could shoot the ball, <laughs> <laughs> that man could shoot the ball. As a matter of fact, there was this three-point shooting contest. It was him, and I can't remember who else was on his team. Dacia Nix was on his team, and another guy, I can't remember, they was going up against Josh Christopher, um, I believe I believe um Easton might have been on Christopher's team. I can't remember which one it was, but anyway, long story short, Smith's team blew Josh Christopher's team out the water in his three point shot, and, yeah. and 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 Smith was the reason why his team won. And I wanted to bring up the the nervousness that he was talking about is because I truly believe that is part of the reason why we saw Smith struggle through those first two games because, like I yeah. just mentioned. You go back and you take a look at his performance against the Trailblazers, and especially his performance against the San Antonio Spurs. He looked more comfortable. He he was starting to find his niche, and that is part of the reason why over the last couple of games, he he's shooting, what, 40-something percent from the field? So yeah. I, I don't have no type of concerns in terms of his shooting. As a matter of fact, to answer your question, I do believe his shooting is going to get better because he's going to be playing alongside Kevin Porter Jr., who is a who is a pretty good facilitator. And, of course, everybody's favorite player, LP. We know how LP yeah. likes to move the ball, and I do believe playing alongside him in the front court is going to have a lot of uh, – Smith is going to have a lot of nights when, when he's going to have a whole bunch of open shots and – I'm not concerned about his shooting, and yes, I do believe it's going to get better because at the end of the day, not only is he playing with Elfie and Kevin Porter, who is going to facilitate, but he's also going to be playing alongside Jalen Green. And going into Jalen's Green next season, I do believe he's going to start seeing a lot of more double teams. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're not going to have a choice, especially after his last two weeks of the season where he was basically (laughs) breaking rookie records left and right. Um, a little bit more about Jabari before we move on to the other uh, players uh, for the Rockets in the Summer League. I want to ask you about how do you envision the Rockets going forward using Jabari? Because um, just watching uh, – I covered the Vipers last year and watching Coach Abdel Fattah's offense, and, and and the reports are coming out, and I'm sure you heard that the Rockets are going to be leaning heavily on uh, uh, Abdel Fattah when it comes to um, the Rockets' offense. He's going to take more of a role when it comes to that – um, so how do you expect them to use Jabari? Is it going to be a lot of Al P and Jabari, maybe a big man picking rolls or Jabari is coming off flex screens? Or do you see them moving him around the court where he's not necessarily just being stationary in the corner like a P.J. Tucker? No, he's definitely not going to be stationary in the corner like P.J. Tucker. I could see this offense for this upcoming season with Jabari Smith giving his shooting ability. I could see this team doing uh, going back to how it was similar to 
when you had um, Chris Paul, James Harden, and Clint Capella, where you saw a lot of um, pick and roll. And in Jabari Smith Jr. case, I think we're going to see a lot of pick and pop action, which is actually going to make this offense even more dangerous because, you know, if you're running a pick and pop action with Jabari Smith, then your opposing, the opposing team's defense is going to have to pick, you know, who do I cover? I mean, if you stay on Kevin Porter Jr., you stay on Jalen Green, then that's going to leave Jabari Smith open. And once again, this is a guy. Look. Raphael Stone said going into the draft, he always felt that Jabari Smith Jr. was, if not arguably the best, the best shooter in this draft class. And what I have been able to see over the last two games plus practice, I'm starting to agree with Raphael Stone because, once again, this young man can shoot the ball. But I say all that just say, if he's running a pick and screen, you know, the opposing team sticks with Green and Porter, then that's going to leave Jabari Smith open. If they switch that, then you know how dangerous Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. is going to the basket. So uh, this offense is going to have a lot of flexibility on what they're going to do. And let's not and let's keep this in mind. One of Jabari Smith's most underrated attribute is his ability to attack the basket. You know, he don't have the greatest of ball handling skills, but he has enough to get to point A to point E, point B. So now you're looking at it from a standpoint of, okay, if Jabari Smith has the ball in his hands and when you go back to that game against the Oklahoma City Thunder, he was showcasing his ability to see the floor and make smart passes. Yeah, he didn't come away with the assist, but a lot of times he set up the, he set up the player in order to get the hockey assist. And that is something that is really going to come in play in terms of how the Houston Rockets are going to work their offense next season. So I, I don't know how Salas is going to use Smith and Shagoon in the front court together. But what I would say is as long as LP continue to facilitate the ball, then <laughs> the front court, that front court pairing between those two guys, they got an opportunity to really establish themselves as one of the best front court pairings in the league. It might not happen next year, but at some point in the next two to three seasons, that pairing is going to be dangerous. Yeah. And speaking of Coach Silas, one more quick question on that. I know you've talked to him a lot, you know, post-game and after practices. Do you have the the sense that he wants to open up the playbook this year? Because he said it before, like, he's had to not necessarily dumb down the playbook, but it's a real basic offensive playbook because, I mean, you are dealing with a rookie last year in Jalen Green. Even though Kevin Porter Jr. is now going into, like, his fourth year, but he's still – he's really a young player, a young point guard who's still mm-hmm. learning the position. So, Coach Salas couldn't – I mean – Contrary to popular belief, Coach Salas actually does know how to coach offense. <laughs> he just didn't necessarily have the, you know, the players, the veterans to run the type of offense that he ran with, you know, teams like Dallas or when he was with Charlotte or the other several teams that he's with. So do you have a feeling he's going to try to open up the playbook a little bit more with, you know, more experience from Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green? Oh, yeah, because first and foremost, you got to take a look at it from a standpoint. This is the first time that – the basic core of his team is returning. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, think about it. He comes, look, we already know the story with Silas. He comes yeah. here, you know, he's thinking he about to have run this offense, then you're a Hall of Famers leave. And then, yeah. you know, you start to find a, a, a foundation with wood, with wall, and it's like, okay, this this is going to be enough to get us get us 
through the next year or two, then we already know how that plays yeah. out. And then you go into next year, it's like, okay, not only do I have to reset my playbook, but I also have a lot of rookies coming in and not just rookies, guys that we are still, you know, experimenting with, seeing how they're going to make that transition from the G League to the NBA level. So it was a lot of stuff that did not work out in Steven Silas's favor. And this is why I believe we're going to see the best version of Steven Silas this year, because like I just mentioned, this is the first year, the first year he's going into year number three. And this is the first year that he's yeah. actually going to have the foundation, the core, the, the core of his team already intact. And look, yeah. Silas going back to that exit interview on April 11th. And even when we had an opportunity to speak with him prior to the Rockets departing for Las Vegas during the um, summer league, Silas had already said a lot of the mistakes that he allowed over the last over the past year, those mistakes will not happen again because there are so many guys on this team that already know. Yeah. And even though, yeah, you're adding in Jabari Smith, you're adding in Tari, you're adding in Ty Ty Washington, hell, for the sake of this argument, you added in Deshaun. Because yeah. he was only with the team for what twenty four games, didn't really play much. But you add, yes, you were still adding a lot of new players. But at the end of the day, like I just mentioned, mentioned the foundation, the core, the centerpiece of of your team, they already there. They already know how to run this offense, and even on the defensive side of the ball as well. So I, I, I say all that just to say, and I know a lot of people got a lot of stuff to say about Stephen Silas. Trust me, <laughs> oh, yeah. if you need to question Stephen Silas coaching, especially his his attribute in terms of player development. All you got to do is ask Luca. All you got to do is ask Steph. All you got to do is ask LeBron. Yeah. All you got to do is ask Baron Davis and Kimball Walker. You're talking about five guys who became all-stars. Yeah. Two out of those fives are literally in the top ten, and Luca is on his way as well. All yeah. five of those guys have something. Had talked about how much Steven Silas has helped them with their player development to get them to where they are in their careers. And I, I, I truly do believe that we're going to see the best version out of Steven Silas for this upcoming season. Yeah, I mean, good points on all the people he's coached. And you got to remember, Dallas had, if I'm not mistaken, the best offense of all time his last year in uh, Dallas when he was coaching Lucas. So, yeah, Coach Silas knows how to coach a little bit. And he, I mean, Rick Carlisle even said himself, he ran the offense. Steven mm -hmm. Silas ran the offense. Rick Carlisle really had nothing to do with that offense. So <laughs> anybody that's questioning it, I understand, you know, you're mad because the Rockets had the worst record two years running, but you got to look at the big picture. There's a reason why. I mean, if he had James Harden and Russell Westbrook, I guarantee we'd be having a whole different conversation right now <laughs> as far as how they feel Coach Silas is as a coach. Um, before we, you know, move on from the first segment, of course, I want to ask you about some other players from the Summer League. Uh, of course, Tari Eason and Ty Ty Washington and even uh, Eric Holman. I mean, people who um, – especially in the case of Holman and um, Ty Ty Washington, I think they kind of stood out as far as their overall play. But what did you – let's start with Tari, Tari Eason. What did you see from him, you know, watching him up close? Because, I mean, watching him on TV, he looks like he's just constant movement. He's all-out hustle. Even when he's not making his layups like last game, he's still out there hustling and getting offensive rebounds. So what did you see from Eason that, that impressed you? I see that the Rockets might have got the biggest steal of the draft. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. this guy, like, I'm getting to the point, I'm getting speechless talking about Tari Eason because 
there is so much I want to say. First and foremost, you mentioned it on TV. All you see is this guy moving around. And yeah. I'm telling you, that's exactly what you see in person, whether that be in practice, whether that be, you know, live in the game. This guy has so much energy. He gives it his all on both ends of the court. And to be honest with you, Lashard, I'm totally torn on where Eason fits with this Houston yeah. Rockets core in 2022. Because a part of me is like, okay, where he excelled coming off the bench at LSU. I think I believe he's going to excel coming off the bench for the Rockets. And I'm pretty sure he's going to come off the bench for this upcoming season. But at some point, how do you work this man into the starting lineup? Like, he he, he is a guy that is, how can I put this? I can see Tari developing into a guy like Draymond Green, not skill set, yeah. but just being the heart and soul of the organization. And that is what I that's what I love so much about this Rockets rebuild that we are seeing because almost every single quality you want to see your organization hit, Raphael Stone and Steven Solid has done a very good job making sure they hit every single one of those points. And in terms of saying Tari Eason is going to be Draymond, once again, I'm not I'm not saying it as in like the skill set wise, yeah. but I'm just talking about somebody who at some point is going to take the helm as this franchise's leader, someone who's going to be the heart and soul on both ends of the court, someone who's going to hold his players accountable. Doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you are the veteran or the, or, or the freshman coming into yeah. the organization. He's going to hold everybody accountable. He's always talking on the court he gives his all on both ends of the yeah. uh, of the court and there's just so much i want to say about this young man but at the same time it's like where does he fit i would like to see him starting from day one but where is that going to put either Alpi or eric gordon as of right now because you know eric yeah. gordon's still on the roster he's still going to be starting at the three you're not going to substitute him and start him at the four in place of smith so yeah. It's going to take some time in order for Smith to reach his full potential because that front court as of right now is still a little bit too crowded. But yeah. this young man, if they keep this core group together, he's going to be, if not the most important foundational piece for this organization. And yes, I understand that's a big statement. And I just watched <laughs> him play only four summer league games. But yeah. when you go back and you watch his games at LSU and you go back and you study his film tape, the same thing that you saw in LSU is the same thing, if not better, that I have been able to see in summer league. And the best part about all this is the guy's just going to continue to get better. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up about him being potential leader because I think at the end of the day, you always it's never the best player that's necessarily the leader of the team. I mean, we've seen it in so many cases, like you said, with Golden State. Steph Curry's not really the leader of that team. It's Draymond mm -hmm. Green. I mean, we saw it a, a lot with the Rockets. James Harden wasn't the leader of that team. I mean, it was <laughs> people like P.J. Tucker who was the leader of that team where everybody listened to. And I think that's a great point you made, made here. Jalen Green is going to be the best player on the team, but he may not necessarily be the leader in the locker room. And that's not a bad thing because, you know, a lot of times you you need that player like Atari who's going to step mm -hmm. forward and is going to keep people accountable. It doesn't necessarily have to be a Jalen Green um, in a lot of situations. Um, a couple of other players I want to ask you about, and I actually want to tie uh, Ty Ty Washington in with Dacian Nix, who you mentioned earlier. What did you see from Ty Ty Washington and Dacian Nix? And who do you think should be the backup going into camp? Because, of course, Dacian Nix, 
The Rockets saw a lot of potential in him. Reports came out that they thought that he should have been a, a lottery pick, that he just kind of fell out of draft because of reasons like his, you know, his shooting wasn't consistent. He was out of shape at the time. Um, but what did you see, you know, out on the court at Summer League between Dacian Nixon, Tatai, Washington? Who do you think should ultimately be the backup when the season starts? Or is that still to be determined with training camp and with preseason? It's still to be determined. And to be honest with you, Lashard, that was one of the main matchups yeah. in terms of training camp, in terms of who is backing up KPJ for this upcoming season. You know, I, I wrote that like several times at the start of Summer League. Like, whoever wins this Summer League battle between Washington and Knicks is going to have the lead in terms of yeah. who's going to back up KPJ. However, I think it's a tie at this point because those two guys play – so well off of each other to the point yeah. I'm like, look, let's just have Knicks and Washington share the court yeah. at all times together. And I say that because I had an opportunity to speak to Dacian um, before the start of summer league play. And one of the things we talked about, I, I had an opportunity to ask him, you know, what are what has been the hardest challenge of him showcasing the performance he's showing in the G League and. Yeah. And and using and, and showing that same potential with the Rockets, of course, on the NBA level. And Knicks told me one of the things he had 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 to struggle with was the fact that in the G League and throughout his whole entire career, he has been a scoring guard. Yeah. And you saw Lashar, you you covered him just as well as I did down at, at Rio Grande Valley. Yeah. You saw in the G League, he's averaging 20, 22, 23 points. Yeah. He has the ball in his hands a lot, and a lot of times he isn't you know, really facilitating the ball like 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 a normal point guard would. However, on the flip side, when he comes here to the Houston Rockets, his top priority, the, the team isn't asking him to score. The team is asking him to be more so of a traditional point guard to get your players involved, yeah. to, 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 to facilitate. And Nick told me one of the hardest things he had to try to do was to try to learn how to pick when to score, of course, yeah. on the NBA level, and when to facilitate, and when to get all of his players involved. That first game in the summer league play, play when he started at the point guard position, yeah, th- I, I saw that same problem that Knicks had, trying to, one, get accustomed to the guys that he just not started playing with, but two, and most importantly, trying to decide when to score, when to pass, or whatever the case might be. When Coach Rick Higgins paired him and Washington together, I saw a more comfortable Dacian Knicks because yeah. I saw a guy who can say, you know what? I know my number one job is still to facilitate and play make for my teammate. However, that is not the only burden on my shoulder. Why? Because I'm playing with another traditional point guard in Ty Ty Washington. So now I can share that burden with him. I could play more so off the ball. And that's part of the reason why we have seen Dacian Knicks average somewhere in the ballpark of 15 and 17 points over the last three games. And, Washington is literally the definition of an all-around point guard. He could shoot, he could defend, but most importantly, he could facilitate the ball. And I understand his shooting and everything wasn't up to par in summer league. However, I'm looking at this from a standpoint of how the Houston Rockets are going to benefit the most out of Washington. And I can see Washington within the next month, and within one or two months within them, the upcoming NBA season being a guy that could come in and actually control the tempo, control the pace, or either keep the pace for the Houston Rockets offensive team next season. That's really important because 
When you go back, you take a look at majority of those games last year, there were so many times I said to myself, the Rockets would have been either more competitive or they would have actually came out with the victory had they had a point guard who can actually help Kevin Porter Jr. keep up the pace of the offense. Yeah. And they that they definitely have that in Washington. And Washington, look, like I mentioned, he can score just as well. And he's coming into a situation playing alongside Dacian Nix where he doesn't have that, okay, my number one job is to facilitate. He doesn't have that burden because he's able to share that low, low with Dacian. So as you and I sit here on July 16th, 2022, <laughs> I think it's a tie between those two on who's going to take the ham as Kevin Porter Jr.'s backup. However, I would prefer to see Coach Steven Silas experiment in the preseason whether or not this Knicks and Washington pairing is a fluke because at the end of the day, you got to keep in mind this is summer league, but will this actually help not just those two guys but the Rockets for this upcoming season as well I say it's a tie I know you don't like that answer but they just play so <laughs> well together to the point I'm at the I'm at the point now I don't want to break neither one of them up yeah I mean I understand and, and what what you brought about Dacian is is very important as far as being able to understand when to score and when to facilitate because when he was playing in the G League I mean, Coach Abdel Fattah said a lot of times he was the best player on the team. So you go from being the best mm-hmm. player on the team, now you're coming to the Rockets where you're not going to be the best player on the team. You're not going to be the main focus. I mean, even in summer league, you're not the main focus still. Mm-hmm. It's still Jabari Smith is the main focus, and especially when you get the Rockets. We saw that last year in the 20 or so games that he barely played in. He came out, he was real nervous. He didn't know, it was, like you said, mm-hmm. he didn't know what to do. He didn't know, okay, should I take this shot, should I not, should I – and you could tell he was hesitant on it, pretty much all of his actions. He was hesitant. So, yeah, that's something he's going to learn. But one thing I can say about Ty Ty Washington, he's not hesitant on anything. <laughs> he's going straight after whoever's in front of him. And it just kind of reminds me, it's kind of seemed like with Kentucky guards, they always kind of start slowly. Like last example, Tyrese Maxey. A lot of people didn't know who he was, and then he just exploded. Once he got on the court and got playing time, we may see the same thing with Ty Ty. He may start in the G League for a little bit, but it may be a case where he just plays too well where the Rockets have no choice but to have him on the roster. So it's going to be interesting. Coach Sal has got a lot of decisions to make because they have a mm-hmm. lot of players that can actually play on the team. And like I said, it all kind of starts with what they do with Eric Gordon, whether they trade him or not, because he's kind of the linchpin on playing time for a lot of other players. So I guess we'll kind of see how that all plays out. But before we go to the second segment, I want to ask you about Eric Gordon. What's kind of your feeling on Eric Gordon? Do you see him – starting the season with the Rockets or the Rockets are going to be even more motivated now, you know, to get playing time for the other players that they might try to make a move. <laughs> this Eric Gordon situation is crazy. Yeah. Um, first off, I understand both sides. Um, one, I understand that it would be smart and in the Rockets best interest to move on from him. Cause yeah. like I just mentioned, you know, when you asked me the question about Eason, I was talking about how crowded the front court is yeah. and 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 it's hard for me to try to get a hold or try to predict what these rotations and lineups is going to look like because Eric Gordon is still part of the Rockets organization. Yeah. And we all know the Rockets are going through a rebuild and we all know you look they they're not tanking, they want to win games, but at the end of the day if not the top priority, the second most important priority for this organization is to go out there, see what you got in your young guys, and let them develop. So in that aspect, 
it will be smart for the Rockets to move on from Gordon. And we all know we heard the reports. I've been told this as well. Um, there were some offers on the table for Gordon doing the draft. And, you know, Stone and the Rockets, they did they decided not to um pull the trigger. And on the flip side, I understand because once again, when you have a rebuilding team like the Rockets, this is one of, if not the most important attribute, who's going to be the leader. Yeah. of the locker room and when you have when when your average age is 20 <laughs> 21 yeah. um i think lp is not even 20 yet i don't not even yet. believe i, I no. think he you you probably know his birthday i think he makes 20 in like september october it's like right before the season starts yeah he's so, still 19 yep so when you look at the four of your five starters are going to be 19 19 20 and i think kpj is 21 yeah yeah. So, he hasn't had <laughs> yeah, he, so look at your starting four of your five starters are under the age of 22. Yeah. It's important for the Rockets. And trust me, this is why I 100% agree with the Rockets holding on to Eric Gordon. It's important for the Rockets to make sure they keep a veteran leader, a veteran presence inside that locker room. And not only that, you have to make sure you keep a veteran and the leader that they already, that they already respect. Let's rewind a little bit. Going back to February, we heard a lot about the Rockets all about the trade Eric Gordon to this team. This team is trying to get okay. a hold of Gordon. And these are the offers that's being reported, whatever the case might be. As we all know, the Rockets held on to Gordon beyond the trade deadline. Later that night, I forgot which game that they was actually playing. Um, we had an opportunity to talk to both Steven Silas and Kevin Porter Jr. And somebody asked them, you know, what does it mean to keep Eric Gordon on this roster? And Silas talked about how important it was to make sure that this organization continues to have a veteran presence in the yeah. locker room, especially someone like Gordon, who is a true professional, someone who shows up on time at practice, someone who knows how important it is to get extra shots up, someone who knows how important it is when you have a bad game to help them move on. Move on. This is what you got to do. He even said how to pack and how to prepare for yeah. a long road trip. <laughs> and that was Steven Solis' answers. And Kevin Porter Jr. was talk just talking about how relieved he was as a young as a young man still trying to find his way on the basketball court in the NBA, how great it was the fact that he still has someone that he could lean on and depend on for advice. And that is why when you start hearing these rumors about Eric Gordon and it's like, like we was on draft night. Oh my God, it might yeah. happen. Eric Gordon <laughs> might get traded, you know, and he's still on the roster. It's because look at the end of the day, we all know, and I'm pretty sure you agree with me too. I would like to see Gordon in a better situation in terms yeah. of his career going out there and competing for championships, because I still believe this man has so much to play for on the court. However, like I mentioned early on in the show for a team to have a successful rebuild, there are important attributes, important points that every team must hit. And yeah. Eric Gordon has one of the most important points one of the most important attributes qualities right now for this organization and that's being the leader you remove him yes you could go out and sign a veteran player whatever the case might be but he might not blend with a kevin porter jr or a Jalen yeah. green or alpi whatever the case might be because that trust and that respectable level isn't there and that might cause even more issues and when you go back 
and you take a look at some of the best rebuilding projects that has taken place over the last decade or so, i.e. the Boston Celtics. I mean, we saw after the whole after the, the the Kevin Garnett Celtics or whatever, they were always a respectable organization during their rebuilds because they always had veteran leaders in that organization. And I'll look at them. They were in the NBA Finals this year, and I'm pretty sure they have even more finals in their bag if they could keep yeah. their core group together. Not only that, let's take a look at it on the flip side, a bad rebuilding project. How long has the Sacramento Kings been in a rebuild? Uh, they've been in a rebuild since, what, 2006, 2007? Since? Chris Webber days, Peja Stojakovic days. Yeah, and, and when did they break up that team? Because <laughs> I know for sure I was still in grade school when they finally <laughs> hit the reset button on that. Yeah. And I just made 30 last Friday, <laughs> and they are still in a rebuild getting hype over, over Murray. Maybe yeah. Murray might be their ticket finally out of the rebuild. But you see, they never had no type of true veteran present inside yeah. that locker room. I think the best, the best season they ever had throughout their whole 20, 25-year rebuild was the one year where they almost made the playoffs, and that was the year they signed um, Rajon Rondo. And oh, yeah. I think I think they fell, what, what was it? It was like three, four games yeah. out of the yeah. eighth seed at the time. But I say all that just to say to, com to compare a good rebuilding project in terms of the Boston Celtics and comparing that to a bad rebuilding project like the Sacramento Kings. And that's why I'm like, look, if they trade Eric Gordon, if they, put it like this, if they trade Gordon, that means we're literally looking at a situation where Raphael Stone got everything he wanted plus more in a deal for Eric Gordon. Or on the flip side, if you keep him, yeah, it sucks. Yeah, it makes the rotation a little bit funky. But at the end of the day, he has one of the most important jobs in his rebuild, and that's being a veteran to these young guys. Yeah, I mean that's that's a really good point because if Eric Gordon, if Eric Gordon was just gung ho about being out and being on a winning team, the Rockets would have facilitated that trade already. Mm -hmm. But Eric Gordon seems to be comfortable, you know, playing with these young guys and teaching. He likes being here in Houston, so I think that's that plays a part of it in it well. And like you said, they need veteran leadership. I mean, they need a player like Eric Gordon who can teach Jalen Green how to get off his shot around a screen or how to be, you know, have counter moves when it comes to certain defenses. So you need that veteran presence on the team, a veteran presence that people are going to listen to. Not that people are not going to listen to David Nwaba, but <laughs> Eric Gordon is still playing, you know, heavy minutes. So they're going to be more than likely to listen to a player like Eric Gordon, who they know can still go out there and play and still compete. So, yeah, I think at the end of the day, the Rockets aren't in a huge hurry to move Eric Gordon, and the Rockets are still rebuilding and they're still doing player development. And I think people kind of underestimate how big of a deal it is to have Eric Gordon as part of that player development. He's basically their coach. Like Coach Oz has said, you know, several times, he's basically their coach on the court, somebody that he leans on. So, end of the day, I know people want Eric Gordon going because they think that he's holding up other players. But I think ultimately the, the positives outweigh the negative when it comes to Eric Gordon. And like you said, if they do trade him, They'll be for exactly what Rafael Stone wants, <laughs> which I think is future draft picks. He didn't want draft picks this year because they already had four last year, three this year. At some point, you're going to have to start paying these people. So you don't want to have all these draft picks in within a, a two-year uh, span. So uh, like I said, I, I, like you said, I think the whole Eric Gordon thing will work itself out. One way or another, either he's going to be on a good 
good team in a better situation or he's going to be helping the young guys. So I think it's a win-win ultimately for the Rockets. Uh, that's going to do it for the first segment. The second segment, we're actually going to be going over some of our mailbag questions from the Clutch Fans Forum that we had. We, like I said, we had like 14 questions, so we have a lot of good questions to go over. So please stick around. And welcome back to the Clutch Fan Rockets Fuel Podcast. And I am joined by Cody Davis of Sports Illustrated, who was down in Las Vegas uh, for the Rockets Summer League Games. And in the second segment, we're going to be talking about are actually answering some of our Clutch Fans Forum uh, mailbag questions that we uh, received. Like I said, had great participation, so definitely want to get through as many as I can here. So the first question is from actually friend of the podcast, Mr. Tim Duncan Donut. I love the name still. <laughs> uh, so his question was, who in the Rockets summer, summer games look impressive in person? It's something we were kind of talking about a little bit earlier. Uh, basically, who, you know, who looked taller or bigger than they probably do it on television. Um, so, uh, like I said, you were there in summer league. Who did you see in person? Were you like, okay, yeah, they definitely look a lot bigger than they def- when they, they did on television in press conference or, or when you were watching them in college. So what players um, kind of more impressed you in person uh, in the summer league for the Rockets? I would say in terms of like, wow, he's a lot bigger than what I expected. Yeah. Jabari Smith. <laughs> I would yeah. say Jabari Smith is so just tall and linky. Like, <laughs> yeah. th- I'm going into my third, fourth year being credentialed by the Rockets, third year being credentialed by the Texans. So I'm around athletes all the time. Yeah. Um, and you know, these these guys are like these guys are big at the end of the day. Paul, yeah. like they're big. <laughs> um, but <laughs> there's just like when you get someone like Tari, Tari isn't that much shorter than Smith, but he has, you know, some some stock to his body, some yeah. stock to his mass. So it, it doesn't come off as like, oh, wow, this guy's tall. But yeah. Jabari Smith is literally just long, lanky, and tall. And standing yeah. next to him, it, it makes me feel like I'm just a small man. Like, <laughs> like, it, he's yeah. just like, I just can't put it in words. Him and Chet is that way as well. Walk yeah. past Chet. I'm like, God, Lee, do I, do, do, like, what, like, <laughs> am I at, like, your belly button or something? Like, he, yeah. like, Tall and lanky guys always just do it for me. It was the same way like that with Christian Wood, too. But yeah. Jabari Smith, his just his lankiness, his size surprised me a lot. Yeah, and apparently his father was saying he's still growing. He could possibly be 6'11". If he's not 6'11 already, I mean, he still has a chance to grow even more. So, I mean, the fact that they're saying he's 6'10 now, that's definitely probably not the height he's even going to finish at, um, which is – a, a big surprise considering that the Rockets are small ball kings for years now. So we, it's, it's finally good to see the Rockets have some size, you know, all the way. I mean, even last year, I mean, you had – I mean, Christian Wood is, is – you know, he's not small, but he's like probably 6'9", six, 6'10". Six, and then you were rolling with Jayshon Jay Tate and then KJ Mark. I mean, you were rolling with people around 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six at the forward spot. So, yeah, it's good to see them with some, some size finally. You know, mm-hmm. kind of reminds you of the old days of uh, – basketball when it you know they actually had centers that were over seven feet and not six <laughs> five um so uh with the next question um which is kind of something that goes into uh the ongoing free agency uh next question is from jojo um from clutch fans he was asking who are the free agents left that might make sense for the rockets to sign with the mid-level exception which i if i'm not mistaken is around nine to a million dollars they have for the mid-level exception 
uh, in hopes of flipping possibly for a first round pick at the trade deadline. Um, and I think it may be more who they're looking for. Cause I don't think they're really looking to add players right now because uh, Tim and even said that they're really looking next year is when they're going to really start to actually spend some money in free agency. But do you mm-hmm. see them possibly bringing in anybody? Cause they really don't have a backup center um, on the roster outside of uh, Boban who, may not even really even play that much. Uzma Garuba was hurt. Who knows if he's going to be a power forward center ultimately in the NBA. Um, but do you see them actually trying to bring in anybody? Cause there's really not a lot of centers, big men leaving left in free agency. No, um, I don't see the Rockets you going after anybody in free agency. I mean, they might sign maybe one veteran, yeah. um, but even then, it's not going to be a veteran that's going to take up the full mid-level exception. I mean, yeah. anything they might be able to get them on a on a on a vet minimum, whatever the case might be. I honestly don't see the Rockets adding nobody to this roster. Um, it's it's funny that you mentioned the backup big. Um, me personally, and I know he was with the team last year, but he's not under contract, and I'm hoping yeah. that they do bring him back. It's Bruno <laughs> Fernando. Yeah. Uh, and as a matter of fact. I'm more of a believer in Bruno than I am a Usman Garuba. And I know there's a lot Agreed. of Usman Garubas, you know, fans out there. I, they say they see the potential. Um, Solace and Stone, they say they see the potential. Yeah. I know I'm a journalist that's watching from the press box that have <laughs> seen glances of him um, yeah. at, at practice and even watched him in, G League, in the G League from time to time. Yeah. I'm not a believer in Usman, you know. And first and foremost, and it's kind of unfortunate, you know, he's, he's he cannot stay healthy. Yep. I mean, he hurt his foot that Tuesday before they left the Las Vegas and he ended up missing the whole entire Summer League tournament. And, you know, he is out there on the court outside that game he had. I don't know. I can't remember if it was the Kings or the Pacers where he had, like, 14 rebounds. There's not much I've seen for him. In terms of Bruno, I see a guy who can come out there and really be a very good backup center to Alperin Shagun. And I also want to add Eric Holman in this as well. Yeah. That has been one one of the guys who has really caught my eye throughout this whole entire summer league experiment. And he is similar to Bruno, a guy that if you need someone to go out there and grab you about five to six rebounds off the bench to protect the rim, to be an enforcer while on the court, um, that's Eric Holman. And I'm hoping that they give him an opportunity to compete for a roster spot by signing him to a training camp roster or whatever the case might be. But the only free agent I can still see out there that makes sense for the Rockets is Bruno Fernando. And I believe they might have something in the works because he was also around in Vegas, hanging out a lot with uh, the Rockets. So, yeah. you know, maybe they are talking to him or whatever the case might yeah. be, but you know, saying like they're going to go out there and sign this veteran and you, and flip him at the trade deadline. I don't see nobody out there that makes sense. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought, I've been kind of drumming up the Bruno agenda for a while now. That, <laughs> I mean, it makes, it makes the most sense mm-hmm. when he was out there, you can see the potential. He's able to roll to the basket. He plays good enough defense to where he's not being bullied down low in the, in the paint. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually showed he had a decent offensive game, a better offensive game at this point than Usman Garuba. And like you said, I watched him as well in the G League. I mean, he played well in the G League, but even at time, Coach Abdel Fattah was saying that he wanted to see more from Garuba. He wanted to see more consistency. A lot of times he got in foul trouble from not being in the correct position. Um, and then 
even when he was with the Rockets, again, it was the same thing. He couldn't stay healthy. So he was mm-hmm. back and forth between the G League and the Rockets. He couldn't stay healthy. So, And then we run into the same issue again in Summer League. So to me, it makes the most sense to bring back Bruno Fernando because mm-hmm. if you do, he'll be the best backup big that you have on this team. And then another player uh, that actually played with the Vipers last year that's actually with the Boston Celtics that's tearing it up for the Celtics right now is Kevin Gelly. Um, a guy mm. that played um, with the Vipers last year that shot close to 35, 36% from three, who can block shots, who can rebound. I didn't understand why the Rockets didn't necessarily have him on their summer league roster. I mean, I don't know how how it goes with how they pick the summer league roster a lot of time. But, I mean, he's another guy to keep your eye on that if I'm the Rockets and for some reason you don't bring back Fernando, he's somebody that, I would also bring in a training camp. To me, you bring as many backup bigs in the training camp as you can because <laughs> you're going to need somebody. Even though Alperen Shagun should be better as far as not getting in foul trouble this year, he's still going to have trouble at times possibly staying out of foul trouble. So you're going to need somebody besides Boban that's going to be your backup bid because like I guess he didn't even play that much for Dallas last year. So I don't see him playing a hmm. lot of minutes this year for the Rockets. Uh, so the next question is actually going to be – oh, it's actually from JoJo. He actually had one more question. If Durant is traded to a contender, are there any young players the Rockets might be interested in obtaining by giving Brooklyn back a pick or swap as a third team? And and he said, I like Bridges from Phoenix, but he's probably the, the oldest. And, I mean, more than likely he'll probably be going to a Brooklyn or a team like that if it was a trade between the teams. But that's an interesting thing to bring up. Do you see the Rockets as possibly being a facilitator in a trade as far as when it comes to a player like Durant or Irving? Uh, that maybe Brooklyn doesn't want to bring back a bunch of high salary uh, contracts and the Rockets can kind of jump in and maybe get a young player or get a draft pick out of it. Do you see the Rockets being a, a player when it comes to being a facilitator as a third team? Yeah, um, that was a report. I, I believe it came from Kelly from the Athletic. Yeah. Um, I think he was the one that reported that um, the Rockets are interested in being a third party in terms of you know jumping into the whole kevin durant unfortunately kd ain't coming here but (laughs) um but you know he did he he, i believe he was if not him for sure jonathan of the chronicle um but i think it was more so kelly um they had reported that the rockets would be would be interested in getting involved in being a third party and getting back a young player getting back of course draft picks we know how much Raphael stone loved draft picks you know i don't know who loved draft picks the most him or nick casario the gm of the Texans because it seems like every deal involves them getting at least two or more draft picks which is fine because the success they has had you know in both the NFL and NBA draft they got eyes for talents and they're doing a very good job within their scouting department but you know I I say all that just to say um I could definitely see the Rockets doing that like I mentioned I don't I don't really know about young players because Look, of course you want to try to get as much talent as possible, but it seems like Raphael Stone loved the fact of going out there scouting and bringing back talented guys that you can actually help and get them established into this new Rockets culture from day one, other than getting this guy who used to doing things one way. Now he got to refigure his mind. Okay. This is how they like X, Y, and Z here in the city of Houston. You know, a lot of times that, you know, you know, that's when the whole personalities and everything start getting in the way. But yeah. I could see the Rockets being a small, major factor in it, but it it, it won't be nothing big. 
Yeah, because I mean, like I said, at the end of the day, I think the issue of the Rockets are kind of going to be in the background when it comes to moves or signings or things like that because mm-hmm. next year and the year after is when they're really going to be kicking it in. I mean, it's not like a, a lot of huge free agents next year. I mean, I know we have names like LeBron and James Harden. Well, even probably won't even be James Harden at this point. He hasn't signed his contract yet, but he's probably going to be signing here soon. Oh, so yeah. it's not a lot of huge names that's going to be next year, but I think the Rockets are still going to be pretty – uh, active in free agency nature, even if it's more like mid-level players, because sometimes, as we see, you sign a bunch of superstars at one time, it doesn't always necessarily work out. It worked out in the Rockets' favor when it came to Brooklyn, but it doesn't <laughs> always work out for the team that's doing the signing. So I don't see the Rockets really going gung-ho on signing a bunch of superstars. Uh, even in next year's free agency, I think it's going to be more of a wait and see. Maybe another superstar comes available that doesn't want to be on their current team because as we see, contracts don't really mean anything these days that Mm. players are moving left and right. So the Rockets are in a great position when it comes to that with next year with cap space and with all the draft picks that they have coming up. Uh, A couple more questions before we wrap it up. Um, Actually, this is a a multi-part question from Dr. of Dunk. Again, I love the name. Uh, the first part of the question is, will Jabari be able to stay in front of NBA-level guards as easily as he has 9% of summer league players? Of course, we know you know, in the NBA there's a lot better players that he's going to be going against, uh, considering in the summer league you're going against mostly G League players and players that are probably not going to be in the league. But let me start with that. Where do you see him as far as being able to switch onto smaller players? Because we know that's the NBA and the Rockets specifically are a switch-heavy team. Do you see him being able to stay in front of guards like he's been able to do in college and in the summer league so far? I think so. Um, there's one thing about when you talk, start looking at Jabari Smith's attribute on defense, he does have lateral quickness. He yeah. is a pretty solid uh, athlete in general. Um and I think the Rockets are going to have more success on the defensive side of the ball because not only is he going to have an opportunity to stick with the smaller, more quicker guards, but it's going to be kind of hard for them to get a shot up over the over the top of yeah. Jabari Smith as well. So, you know, probably I think we're going to start seeing Smith have more success during the second half of next season versus the first half because I know that very first summer league game Smith also talked about the pace of the game was a shocker and I'm thinking to myself well the pace of of the game was a shocker for you (laughs) you know in the summer league contest then that lets me know the pace might be somewhat of a problem for Jabari Smith at the start but like we saw once he find once he makes adjustments once he find his niche like we've seen in summer league He's going to be able to stick with those smaller guards when they make that switch, and I, I and that's why I go back to uh, I truly believe the Rockets are going to be so much going to be so much more of a better defensive team for this upcoming season. Yeah, yeah, great point, and I think people always forget that it's a it's a culture shock going from college or even last year with Jalen going from the G G League to the NBA. It's a huge step up, so you can't always expect players to just come out you know, being superstars day one when we saw it last year. Kay Cunningham struggled at the beginning of the year. It took him some time. We saw the year before, Anthony Edwards, same thing. It took him some time to get used to his speed of the NBA is totally different mm-hmm. um, than anything you see in the G League and see and even in the, um, you know, SEC in college. I mean, it's a totally different ball game. So, yeah, it may take him a little bit of time to get acclimated and get used to it. And I hope, I hope Rockets fans don't go overboard, but we all know how Rockets Twitter is sometimes. So (laughs) we kind of know how that's going to go. 
Um, this is something we kind of talked about a little bit earlier, part two of the question. Well, the question is, what's wrong with Jabari's shot, as in why is it so flat, and is that an issue with him missing early on? And this is something we kind of talked about a little bit early on, what you pointed out, where you weren't too worried about his overall shot and what you saw because you've, you've seen him in practice. You saw him he shoot over 40% in college. So kind of just to reiterate, you don't really see as, as something to be worried about going into the NBA as far as how you know, maybe his shot is a little bit too flat or anything with his shooting motion. You don't really see that as an issue, do you? No, I do not. Like I mentioned, that young man could really shoot the ball. Yeah. And the problems that we saw the first two games, especially the first game against Orlando, um, once again, and along with Pace, he was also talking about just being nervous in general. And look, yeah. the, the young man is is human. Of course he's going to be nervous. Um, yeah. So, no, I don't see an issue in his shot. Of course, you know, he's going to – improve his shot and work on his shot between now and the start of the regular season, especially, you know, working with Steven Silas, working with Mahmoud, working with um, yeah. John Lucas. I mean, there was a lot of player development. So, of course, it's natural for him to improve a shot, but he's improving a shot that's already damn good, to say to say the least, as of right now. Yeah. Yeah, great point. I mean, at the end of the day, shooter's going to shoot. I mean, it's like riding a bike. He may miss some earlier, but eventually mm-hmm. he's going to get his shot down, just like we saw from Jalen Green, which kind of had a lot to do with the, just the rotation the Rockers running. If anybody wants to remember the Daniel Tice Christian Wood pairing, um, <laughs> but I mean, at the end of the day, he's gonna he can shoot the ball. We saw in the college. I mean, he shot over forty percent the last two games. He's thirteen for twenty five from the field. So, I mean, ultimately, he's gonna be perfectly fine once he gets into actual NBA games. We'll you know we'll see him settle in. He'll be like I said, he'll be fine going forward. Uh, a couple more questions before we wrap it up is actually uh, we actually already kind of talked about the backup five position um, with you know Bruno Fernando being kind of our preferred choice when it comes to that. Uh, one of the question is actually from High Mania. Hope I'm saying that right. Um, but uh, another multi question thing, but we're kind of just going to go over the first part of it. Um, something we talked about a little bit earlier, the coaching staff and what the responsibilities are going to be. Uh, their question is, is there, gonna, is there any insight into how the Rockets coaching staff responsibility will be broken down next year? Um, John Lucas is the lead assistant. We kind of all know that. Um, but he's much more of a player development guy rather than a play caller. So do you see the Rockets as more, you know, Coach Abdel Fattah is going to be offensive side, line of house is going to be defensive side. Do you see them kind of breaking it down similar to what they had with was there like when he was with the Rise where he was on the defensive side and D'Antoni was taking more of the offensive approach? Will we see that kind of broken down with the Rockets' assistance this year? Yeah, I think so, especially in terms of the Rockets' willingness to get better on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. As you see, um, Steven Silas hired Lionel Hollins to take yeah. over as one of his assistants. Um, he even talked about it prior to them going, leaving and going to Las Vegas. He talked about how excited he was to have Lions on his coaching staff especially given the fact that he's one of the best defensive-minded coaches of his of his generation yeah. um so i could really see the rockets saying you know what lionel defense like you mentioned coach my offense and of course you have um john lucas still being yeah. the player development type of coach and of course you got steven silas overseeing it all so i could definitely see it breaking down like that and i i really do believe that's actually going to benefit not just the Rockets but coach Steven Silas as well overall yeah because I mean we see with the most successful teams they have assistants that are taking huge you know big parts big roles in the teams and then they eventually go on to coach 
uh, have their own head coaching position because they have such a big role with the teams. And I think, like you said, it's going to help the Rockets overall because it's going to take some of that pressure off of Siles to kind of be ahead of offense, be the head of defense. Because when you're coaching the game, you don't necessarily always see everything that an assistant can see because you're having to pay attention to everything. You're having to pay mm-hmm. attention to the play being run. You have to be pay attention to what's going on ball. But with assistants, they can pay attention to one thing. To kind of similar, like, again, going back to NFL reference, uh, with assistant <laughs> yeah. coaches in the NFL who take care of, you know, one particular part of the game, they're not necessarily having to worry about the entire, you know, team and I think that's going to help coach Charles in the in the at the end of the day having coaches like Abdel Fattah having a coach like Lionel Holland especially Lionel Holland who I mean he's been a head coach in the league he's he's kind of mm-hmm. seen it all so he's definitely going to help out at the end of the day before we wrap up the show first off I want to thank you for jumping on because like I said you're kind of like everywhere your rocket stuff may be winding down a little bit but then you got you're going to be jumping <laughs> right back into the with the Texans so and we all know how crazy it is around you know Texas when it comes to football so that's going to be kicking off here soon but before we wrap it up again why don't you let everybody know where to find all your great content you can follow me well first of all you can follow me on Twitter at Cody Davis underscore 24 once again that's Cody C-O-T-Y-D-A-V-I-S underscore 24 Y24 because Kobe Bryant is my goat that's why I make sure you guys hear that perfectly oh that's but, a whole uh, other conversation <laughs> <laughs> but uh but hey you know speaking of goats I think you and I probably talked about this once before but mm-hmm. Hakeem Olajuwon is my goat center I don't care what nobody gotta say and yeah. I know that's a conversation for another day but I don't care what nobody say. You won't get the any things, arguments here. <laughs> the things I say this: Elijah accomplished everything that Shaq and Wilt and everybody yep. accomplished. But the only thing, the only reason why he didn't do it as much, he wasn't playing with a Kobe, he wasn't playing with a Magic, he wasn't playing with a Bob Cruz or nothing. Come yep. on now, you know you got you got to respect thirty four, man. Thirty four is my goat center. Yeah. But uh, he you already know because real quick, because <laughs> I was talking to, to Mario and he, you know, he always pointed out like. Akeem Olajuwon, even though people talk about him, he's still one of the most underrated players in the league. But again, that's a, whole nother, that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> you already know how I feel about Akeem. I can talk about oh, yeah. him all day. But, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Man, that's my go center right there. But um, <laughs> you can follow my Rockets word over at Sports Illustrated called Inside the Rockets. Please be sure to check that out. You can follow you can follow my podcast, Believe in Rockets. It's a weekly podcast that I post once a week. Um, that's my Rockets work. You can follow my Texans work, yeah. daily podcast, Locked On Texans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And I also cover the Houston Texans for Sports Illustrated as well called Texans Daily. Be sure to check that out as well. Yeah, like I said, you're everywhere. Um, this year, actually, I'll be covering the Rockets for uh, Dream Shake, so I'll be seeing you out there. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to need your help <laughs> not to get lost out there uh, walking around looking crazy, and hopefully you can uh, help me out and not ask any crazy questions. Uh, so, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to being out there with you, and uh, we'll definitely have you back on you know, throughout the, throughout the summer going into, uh, like I said, the training camp especially because, of course, you – you always have great insight, and like I said, I appreciate you jumping on with me today. Uh, thank you for having me, man. I had a lot of fun. Thank you. Uh, yeah, definitely for sure. And that's going to do it for today's show. As usual, we appreciate everybody that comes and joins us every week. Whether you listen to us in the audio format on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, wherever you listen to your podcast, we always appreciate that. Or the people that check us out on our video that will be dropping, as usual, on YouTube, on the Clutch Fans YouTube page. Make sure you're checking us out, giving us likes, giving us subscribe. We appreciate everybody that joins us every single week on the Clutch Fan Rockets Fuel Podcast.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.